Sometimes when the Olympics are televised, I uh, like watching the things that are probably not uh, real popular. I like watching the, the judo matches, and I like watching uh, wrestling. And, um, and if you've ever watched either of those sports, judo or wrestling, you'll note that there's a, a, a technique that's used, and that is to get your opponent to believe that he's moving in a certain direction and then rapidly move him in another direction. And I tell you that if you're not expecting that to happen, um, it's a good way to end up with broken ribs or a concussion. The better someone understands the principle that they're facing, that that's what someone's going to try, the better he can anticipate what's coming and the less likely he is to be concussed. Recently, we've been looking at those passages in the Bible that tell us that the whole law of God is summed up in a single word, to love your neighbor as yourself. And, and you know, it's an interesting thing. When we, when we give love, truly give love, give love unreservedly, uh, give love sacrificially, when we truly give love, we expect love in return. We think we're moving in the direction of love. And Jesus prepares us for what we're actually going to face. Because there's, there's going to be a reversal. And if you are not expecting it, you're going to be slammed to the ground. You're going to be dazed. You're going to be concussed. Last week, our text began with Jesus' words, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you, remain in my love. I want to tell you, and I don't usually do this, but if you were not here last week, please go online and listen to the message from last week. If you are a Christian, you need to know and be absolutely convinced that you are safe in God's love. Because Jesus is going to prepare his disciples, he's going to prepare us for a change in direction that we're going to face. And the topic changes very quickly from love to hate. Changes very quickly from as the Father has loved me, so I've loved you, now remain in my love, to these words, which I read from John chapter 15, verses 18 through 25. And unless you know and are absolutely convinced of God's love for you in Christ, you'll never be able to stand against the world's hate. These are Jesus' words, and this is the word of God. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I've chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you, no servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name. For they do not know the one who sent me. 
If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now, however, they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me, he's my father as well. If I had not done among them what no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they've seen these signs, and yet they have hated both me and my father. This is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without cause. Father, prepare our hearts for what we'll face when when we seek unfeignedly to love others in your name. We pray in your name. Amen. Unless you know and you are absolutely convinced of the love of God for you in Christ, you will never be able to stand against the world's hate. You will buckle, you'll cave, you'll turn somewhere in the world to seek its love or its approval for your safety. Jesus says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I've chosen you out of the world. This is why the world hates you. What is the world? What, what in the world is Jesus talking about? You know, last week when our friends Bill and Kathy joined the church, I, I asked them one of the membership vow questions is, Will you forsake the world? What does that mean? It it doesn't mean, would you you come with us and hide out in a Christian ghetto? That's not what it means. It doesn't mean, will you reject all, all technology developed after 1850? That's not what it means. But the word world is used in different ways in the New Testament. Sometimes it can refer to the whole of the universe. Sometimes it can refer to the planet on which we live. Sometimes it can refer to all people. But what Jesus is referring to here when he talks about the world, the way we see it often used in the New Testament, is a system. It's a system found the world over, pardon the pun. It was found inside of Israel and outside of Israel. A system that declares its independence from God. Or a system that co-ops God for its purposes. Uses God as a kind of a mascot or window dressing. And that's what Jesus is talking about. That's the world. And the world is all around us. It's in the very air that we breathe. In in fact, it's it's not coincidental that the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 2.2 calls Satan the prince of the power of the air. What's he saying? He's saying everywhere you can draw breath, you're going to find the influence of the world. 
It's in the very air that we breathe. So he's called in 2 Corinthians 4.4, the devil's called the God of this age. And, And the world is the spirit of the age, whatever it is at any given time, that exists, the, the zeitgeist, the Germans call it, that lives independently, that seeks independence from God. And so Jesus is, is born into this world, the Son of God comes into this world and he makes a declaration. He says, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. There's no place I fit, nowhere that I am comfortable, nowhere that I am received. And if you're really his follower, neither will there be for you. The Apostle Peter in his first letter tells us that we are exiles and sojourners in a foreign land. In the last of John's writings in the book of Revelation, he says that we're living in Egypt or Babylon. I want you to think of Israel's experience in Israel or in uh, in Egypt and in Babylon. The author to the Hebrews tells us that like Abraham, we have no lasting city here. But we're looking for a city whose builder and architect is God. Today we see the the frontal assault of the world in in the gender confusion that we see. I won't say much about that today. I might say something about it next week because it's Mother's Day and you can't even talk about mothers anymore. And, and, And you know, some of you, as you look at what's happening around, you think, what happened? What hit me? And the particulars might surprise you, but you should hardly be surprised that the world is capable of that. Some of you in your families, in your places of work, in your place in society, face real animosity, hatred, because you won't go along with that, because you're citizens of another kingdom. But that's not the only manifestation of the world. Did you think that the world was something new, as though it hasn't been here since the fall, if, if, if you think, oh boy, I remember the good old days when I was young. Friends, let me just tell you what that means. It, it means that you were comfortable in that iteration of the world. You, you were good with that sin. I'm, I'm comfortable with that sin. I'm okay. This sin I'm uncomfortable with. My late friend, Mike Bauman, who taught at Hillsdale College, Mike and I uh, were at a little uh, Christian college together up in New Jersey. I was working in the administration there. He was on the faculty. And then he went to Hillsdale College. He taught at Hillsdale until his death. 
And, and I, Mike used to say, I love this statement, it stuck with me ever since I heard him say this back m- many decades ago in New Jersey. He'd say, a negative of Satan is not a picture of Jesus. A negative of Satan is not a picture of Jesus. There are segments of the world that will deceive you and tell you that it is. They'll tell you that you can have a lasting city here. That that Babylon doesn't need to be destroyed. We, We just need to work harder to make it better. See, Babylon can be converted into a new and utopian Christian Jerusalem. That's what we should be hoping for, looking for, waiting for, working for. And the temptation amounts to being in Babylon and saying, no, 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 don't, don't, don't worship Marduk. Everybody's worshiping Marduk. Don't worship Marduk. Come over with us over here and worship Tiamat. That's much better. Negative of Satan is not a picture of Jesus. The lies of CNN cannot be countered by the lies of Fox News. It was out of fear for the godless Bolsheviks that Germany rushed headlong into Hitler's fascism. And the communists were at least up front with their uh, hatred of Christians and desired to be rid of them. For the fascists, Christians were useful idiots until they were no longer needed. If you think that there is a difference, not merely in degree, but in kind, between the Democratic and the Republican parties today, you are naive. Satan does not care if you are a Democrat or a Republican, a communist or a Nazi, an anarchist or a monarchist, as long as you are not a Christian. He doesn't even care if you call yourself a Christian as long as your real allegiance is to some party, some ideology, some philosophy of the world. In fact, he's delighted if you do so. One sure way to tell that you're dealing with the world is that the world downplays problems that don't affect them personally. So, abortion isn't really killing an unwanted child, it's just getting rid of some cells. So, racism is no longer a problem, that was dealt with in the 1960s. Another way of telling that you're dealing with the world, is in their solutions. Because their solutions are always, pass a law, as though we could legislate ourselves into utopia. 
And, and the idea is that if we, if we just get the right laws, just enough laws, some in the world would even say to you, if we just get God's laws, then everything would be better. Really? The Apostle Paul told us in the book of Galatians that if righteousness could be achieved from the law, Christ died for nothing. And it is precisely here that lies the unique calling of the church, of the disciples of Jesus. You know, those who don't know Christ, well, I've seen this so much over the years, those who don't know Christ... They can see the problems very clearly, or at least they can see the problems that affect them personally. The Christian alone, I'm convinced, the Christian alone can say to everyone, you're right about all the problems that you see, and they're worse than you think. Abortion is worse than you thought. Racism is worse than you thought. You're concerned about the mistreatment of women? Let me tell you, it's worse than you thought. Gun violence, it's worse than you thought. The problem goes deeper than you thought. But the solutions that you are being offered from the right and from the left are like going out and throwing a handful of thumbtacks in front of a speeding 18-wheeler and thinking it will stop it or even slow it down. God complained through the prophet Jeremiah of the false prophets that they dress the wound of my people superficially. And the unique calling of the church is to tell the world the problems that you see, that you're, that you're talking about, that you experience, they're real and they're much, much worse than you think. And all of humanity together, were they to work on, on the problem that troubles you, all of humanity together could not fix the problem. Could not heal the problem. The wounds are deep. And the treatments that people offer are superficial. The solution is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the problem, my friends, starts with you. You know, G.K. Chesterton once read an op-ed piece in his, the newspaper, his local newspaper, back in the late 1800s. And the, and the op-ed piece was called, What is Wrong with the World? And it, and it was a diatribe. You might read something in a local paper today about all the stupid thing that people are, things that people are doing. What's wrong with people today? You know, what's wrong with the world? And G.K. Chesterton wrote back to the editor and he said, Dear editor, uh, in, in response to the uh, op-ed piece, What is Wrong with the World? I am. Signed, G.K. Chesterton. The problem starts with you. And the remedy is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The solution will not be found in changing granite hard hearts to quartz hard hearts. 
The solution is found in what God alone can do in taking hearts of stone and making them hearts of flesh. And there's no other solution. There was a young man who grew up in Bethel Church. I'm not sure if there's anybody here today, maybe one person, who would remember this young man. So somewhere along the line, this man um, got taken in by the theonomy movement. Some of you will remember that movement. He was a young man of great ability from a family of means, and he, he had this idea, this, this, this thing that God put on his heart that he wanted to uh, go over to Africa to travel through a number of the African nations. And his idea there was that he wanted to go and he wanted to help shore up Christian schools and Christian hospitals, Christian relief agencies. And, you know, in some of those countries, there's even uh, Christian governments that there's a, an establishment of Christianity. And he came back a changed man. And I said to him, I said, David, what happened? Because I, I know what you were thinking when you went out, and I can hear what you're saying, that it's different now. And he said, Pastor Hammond, he said, I got over to Africa. He said, I found out there's no such thing as a Christian school. There's no such thing as a Christian hospital. There's no such thing as a Christian relief agency. There are no such thing as Christian laws. There are no such thing as Christian governments. There are only Christian people. And if the people are not Christian, you can call the laws, the institutions, whatever you want. You can have any founding documents you want. You can have any bylaws you want. They'll find a way around it. They won't be Christian. And what happened to David was that he came up against the world. If you know that and you live it out consistently, the world will hate you. Now, some little segment of the world might not hate you at first, as long as it thinks it can co-opt you, as long as it thinks that your loyalties will be to it. Once it understands that your loyalties don't lie with it, but with the kingdom of God, it will hate you. And you will crack. You will buckle. You will compromise with the democratic world or with the republican world. You'll bow down to their gods unless you know and are absolutely convinced of God's love for you in Christ, you will never be able to stand against the hate of the world. And so Jesus prepares his disciples, he prepares us to be yanked in a different direction. They said before, we would naturally think that receiving God's love, sharing God's love in an unfeigned way, that, that, that we'd receive love in return. We won't. We won't. Remember the words I spoke to you, no servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They'll treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. 
He who hates me hates my father as well. And if, if you're truly following Christ, the, the world, that system that's self-sufficient, that sees itself as independent from God, will hate you. That hatred might not be white, hot all the time, but it will be real. And at times it might be white hot. It's white hot for our brothers and sisters in China right now. The world will hate you because it hates Christ. It hates Christ because in Christ they're confronted with God as he really is, the, the God that they want independence from, the God that they want nothing to do with. Unless you know and are absolutely convinced of the love of God for you in Christ, you will never be able to stand against the world's hate. So buckle you compromise. You might stand against one expression of the world, but you'll look for protection and approval from another expression of the world. And you'll bow down and worship its gods. And you'll turn a blind eye to its sin because it will offer you safe haven unless you know and are absolutely convinced of the love of God for you in Christ, you will never be able to stand against the world's hate. Raises an important question, though. How can we tell those who are really hated for Jesus' sake from those who just use Jesus as a means and a mascot and are hated for that reason? Well, Jesus says, this is to fulfill what is written in their law, they hated me without cause. And Jesus there quotes from Psalm 69. We read portions of it today. I want you to think back through the Gospels in, in reading about Jesus. Let me ask you a question. What harm did Jesus ever do to anyone? What harm did he ever bring to anyone? What, what threat did he ever pose to anyone? What, what evil act or ulterior motive did Jesus ever act with? They hated him without cause. People still hate him without cause. And, and if you're really following Jesus, people will hate you without cause. It's not merely that they'll hate you. They'll hate you without cause. That's an important caveat. Because it's a test of whether you're really following Jesus or not. Let let me be very blunt. If people hate you because you're an obnoxious jerk in Jesus' name, you're not following Jesus. Listen again to the words of Peter. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles here to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits you. Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human authority 
whether the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people. Do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. It's commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they're conscious of God, but how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and you endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. And to this, you are called because Christ suffered for you. You know, there are people who would tell you that Christ suffered for you so that now you don't have to suffer. That Christ suffered so that you could reign now. Paul dealt with that with the Corinthians, by the way, in 1 Corinthians, who said, oh, we've become kings. And Paul said, oh, that that you had become kings. That would mean that I would be a king too. But Paul knows what he's been called to. He says, to this you are called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds, you've been healed. Daniel served the king in Babylon. As Jeremiah the prophet had instructed Israel to do, He said, go and uh, settle down, build houses, have families increase, don't decrease, and seek the good and welfare of the city to which I bring you, God said. For in in its prosperity, you'll prosper. And so that's what Daniel did. He didn't think he was making Babylon into Jerusalem. Jerusalem. He sought its welfare. He also knew in the back of his mind every day that Babylon was going to be destroyed, and he waited for the day. Daniel served the kingdom honestly and inoffensively, and then came the law that no one was to make a petition to any king or God except for King Darius alone upon pain of death. What's Daniel to do? Well, let me read you what the Bible says. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been signed, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God just as he had done before. He didn't rationalize, saying, Well, this is only a temporary law. It's not going to last that long. It it was a temporary law. I I just need to not pray to God uh, until the law expires. He didn't organize protests in the street. Didn't flaunt, didn't attract attention to himself, didn't call a press conference to protest the great injustice 
just did what was right in God's eyes, whatever the cost. And he was hated for it. Hated without cause. My beloved brothers and sisters, maybe some of you have some repenting to do today. Maybe you've sought your security in the Republican Party, turning a blind eye to its sins as long as they would save you from the evil Democrats. Maybe you've compromised in some other way. The world is all around us. There is no escape from it. It is in the air we breathe. If you were not here last week, please go back and listen to the message on John 15, verses 9 through 17 about God's love for you. Because to the degree that you and I doubt God's love for us, we will seek safe haven somewhere in the world. But the truth is, There is no safe place in the world for your soul. Unless you know and are absolutely convinced of God's love for you in Christ, you will not be able to withstand the world's hate. Father, give us your grace. Lord, so many, so many people throughout the Gospels and so many people in the churches where, where your word is faithfully preached will follow you right up until the time they understand what it is that you're really saying and then they turn away. Help us, help us, Father, not to be such people. Lord, the, the answer to that the sufficiency for that isn't, isn't found in pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps, is, isn't, isn't, isn't found in uh, shoring ourselves up and making ourselves strong. It, it's found in knowing your great love for us, that your love will not let us go, that your love will not allow us to fall. And trusting in that love to being uh, emboldened, to being a- able to move from uh, one rock ledge to the next, from height to height, because we cannot fall. And so, Father, give us your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm